As you're living for Christ and interacting with others, you might be accused of being a troubler. What are we to make of this? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to touch on that. I don't know when the last time anyone looked to you and said, oh, you troubler of my family, or you troubler of our workplace, or you're turning the world upside down. In the years that I've served Jesus, no one has ever accused me of turning the world upside down. Uh, that hasn't happened. But I have seen it in smaller ways. I have seen uh, times where someone will come and say, you, you've troubled my home. I'm like, what did I do? Well, you told my spouse such and such, and this, they said they got it from the Bible, and now they're a completely different person, and it's all your fault. This is amazing grace. As you may know, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He'll even use the people around us to accomplish his agenda. At various times, we may be accused of something and you're really taken aback by it or even wondering what's going on. Today on Abounding Grace, wicked King Ahab calls Elijah, you troubler of Israel. The reality of the matter is God was using him as a troubler of Ahab and for good reason. Pastor Ed Taylor will relate this to what you may be going through or will in the future. We're in 1 Kings 18. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. So there's wisdom in the fear of the Lord. There's knowledge and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so a fear of God really speaks to not cowering in fear, not running away in fear, but to be in awe of God, to recognize His awesome power, that He's holy and righteous and true. Now let me speak to you parents for a moment because this is very key and critical. Parents, your kids primarily learn about God from you. You are the primary tool in their lives that will either teach them about God in a positive way or teach them about God in a negative way. But believe me, parents, you're teaching them about God. You're teaching them about God. The way your kids learn about the love of Jesus Christ is you. It's not Christian school. It's not Sunday school. It's not me as a pastor or a teacher. It's you. You're the one. You're the one that has the most time with them, the most access to them. You're the one that they trust the most. You're the one that they live with or have, if you have to share custody, that you have the most time with. You sometimes think because of your life and maybe your own mistakes and your own weaknesses and you look at yourself in the frailty of your own life and you go, you know, if Pastor Ed would just tell my kids, they would listen to him. Probably not. Probably not more than they would listen to you, to you and your example. Now, you could be in a place where you need to rehabilitate your, um, your credibility and your testimony with your kids. 
That may be where you're at right now. It's possible. It's possible for you to rehabilitate your credibility and your reputation with your children. Well, they'll receive from you. You just got to start. It's never too late to start. So you're, you know, but Ed, my kid's 40 years old. We'll start today. Because starting today is better than putting it off another day. And then 40 becomes 41 and 42. And then you guys with little ones, you know, even as I was in our prayer group, I was thinking back to the scripture that Shandell had shared with us. One of the first things that God impressed upon my heart as a new believing dad was that not provoking your kids unto wrath. That's all I did with my son was provoke him. I thought that's what dads did. They mess with their kids. I really believe that. Pop them in the back of the head, twist their ear, mess around with them, and then try to draw out of them that they could mess around with you. And instead of being a dad, I kind of viewed parenthood as buddy-buddy. Even though I'm separated by 20 years from my son, or 18 years from my son, I, I felt like, you know, we're going to be buddy-buddy, so we're going to be pals. And, and, and yet I had, I had power over him. I had... I had the being taller than him and bigger than him. My voice was deeper than him. And by messing around with him like that, I was making him afraid of me. And I was demeaning him. And, and I, was, I was going down the path that, that had not, God not stopped me, it would have ended in disaster. And so when the Bible says parents or dads, and, and dads in particular, as she expanded, as Chantel expanded that verse into parents, that is definitely the application. But the word of the Lord says, dads, don't provoke your kids under wrath. Why? Because dads, you guys have such a valuable gift of leadership and authority in your kids' lives. And even if you've lost it, you can get it back. Even if you've lost it, you can get it back by the authority of Jesus in your life. And I'm so glad that I... I learned that verse, and I keep learning that verse. But even now, my kids are 25 and 20 almost, and, and if I'm messing with them in some way, you know, if I can't pop them in the back of the head because he'll punch me in the gut, so that's over now. But if some goof off or whatever, I'll, they'll start dropping the word on me, Dad, don't provoke your kids. And I said, like, who taught you that, man? And uh, even then, they can speak back, you know, the Word of God and what He has for us. And it's just so, you're the primary one. You want, you want one day, if your kid's writing the Bible, he won't write the Bible, but write in your journal or some book, and he becomes a, you know, a major um, author or does interviews on TV or something, whatever. You give in your testimony or going down generation to generation. You want to be able to say, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Pray that over your kids. God, I just want my kids to, to be able to say, I feared the Lord since my youth. And the reason I feared the Lord since my youth is because I believe his parents discipled him and took seriously the weight of responsibility that God has given to us. And if God, I'll tell you what, man, if God can change a man like me, he could change anybody. Absolutely anybody on the planet. Nobody is beyond the powerful, life-changing work of God through his Holy Spirit. Nobody. Nobody. You remember Timothy had the same testimony. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, uh, Paul said, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you all also. So we have those roles, grandparenting, great-grandparenting, parenting. The Lord has given you influence in your kid's life. Use it for his glory. Verse 17 now. It happened when, when Ahab saw Elijah 
that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O trouble of Israel? And he answered, I'm not troubled, Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you've followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, and 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table." Now, now Ahab sees Elijah. He's been searching for him all this time. Can't find him anywhere. He has him in front of him. And the first thing out of his mouth is, you troubler of Israel. Elijah was not a troubler of Israel. He was a troubler of Ahab. (laughs) And let me just say this. When God uses you to trouble people, they're going to blame you for it. They're going to blame you for it. Oh, you troubler, you, they, they don't, that, that's not even a phrase, you troubler of Aurora. They're not going to say that. <laughs> but they will say something like, well, you self-righteous, beep, beep, beep. And that, you take that a little personal, don't you? Self-righteous, like, I'm just telling you, like, I'm just, I'm just telling you, stop yelling. That's all, don't, don't yell at mom anymore. That's all, just, I don't think that, you're, you know, and that, you self-righteous, what are they putting in you in that church? And what are you, you're in a cult. And you're like, I don't think I'm in a cult, but I think I just told you to stop yelling. I think that's all we were talking about. And, and they'll be like Ahab. Oh, you troubler of Israel, as if, Ahab, as if Elijah has done anything evil, wicked, sinful. And we already know, and we will, we will in the future study, and we'll learn this about Elijah. We, only, we already know a couple things about him. Number one, the Bible says that he's a man just like us. So he's no superstar way out beyond the ability of anybody in this room. Elijah is a man just like us. That's what the Bible says. And the key, now if we want to be, so Elijah is a man like us, according to James. But if we want to be a man or a woman like Elijah, then God has given us the secret to that, hasn't he? We become men and women of prayer. That was his key. That was his connection. He was connected to the Lord. When, when he was, it says three years later, he heard the word of the Lord. That gives us a little bit of insight on the other side of prayer, doesn't it? Because prayer is both speaking and listening. That's why we have trained you, and we sometimes will remind you when you're praying and give 10, open your Bible. Pray through the scriptures. Keep it open on your lap while someone else is praying that God might, might take a scripture up from there or give you an answer or you're praying silently. Someone's praying something and they say something and it marks something in your mind and you start praying silently about your own life and you've got your Bible open before you. You're speaking to God and how is God going to speak to you? Well, one of the ways he's going to speak to you is through his word. So some of you, you could have been praying uh, Psalm 25 verses 4 and 5 and you may have read to 6 and that became an answer of prayer for you. You just kept reading. And you're like, why am I reading this psalm? Well, because it was given to you, and God has spoken his word into your lives. So you've got to be a good listener in prayer. And Elijah was a man just like us, and we can be a man just like Elijah. And we're going to learn after in, verse, in chapter 19 how much he's like us, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, making decisions. You, you think by now that all we're going to read about Elijah is that all he does is hear and obey God. All he does is hear and obey God. The same thing happens when you think of pastors, and you're like, oh, they just, they are the best. They're the most perfect. How would they ever be a pastor? They're not like me. They never do anything wrong, and they float when they walk. And that's why they never get tired, and they glow when the lights are. You see that glow? It's just my bald head, man. It's all it is. There's no glow up here. And and there's nothing about me that's different from you in the human realm. Nothing. It's only by the grace of God I get to do what I get to do 
and it's only by the grace of God you get to do what you get to do. There's nothing special about pastors or people on the radio or nothing. Now, there's more responsibility. I'm not saying there aren't differences. I'm saying there's nothing special. And certainly there are differences between you and me in relationship to God. For example, I have a greater responsibility. I'm going to be accountable for probably more people's lives than you are. Uh, I have to make sure that I don't misrepresent God to a much broader... I mean, there are differences, but you don't think of anybody filling the pulpit and going, well, one day I hope to attain the spiritual level of our pastor. He is so spiritual. First of all, if you feel like that, would you please email my wife? Just let her know real quick what you think. And then you can change your mind after that. But we're just normal. Elijah's a normal guy. I know he's in the Bible, and that's kind of cool. But even you're in the Bible. (laughs) Did you know you're in the Bible? We'll get there at the end of John. But you're in the Bible. Every believer listening to me right now is in the Bible. So if you want to look ahead, read the last chapter of John uh, John 21, and you'll see you're mentioned in the Bible. Now, your name might not be mentioned in the Bible, but you are. That's kind of cool. So is Elijah. Elijah's in the Bible, and he's a man just like us. We can be men and women just like him, and, and he's a, a, a normal guy. He's a normal man, and he would naturally be taken aback at this. He would naturally be, be knocked back. A oh, trouble of Israel? Are you crazy? You're the problem, Ahab. You're the idolater. You're the one. Your wife kills prophets, for goodness sake, and you're calling me a troubler? But he doesn't do any of that. He just, notice, he says, in, in his response, he comes and he says, oh, you troubler of Israel. What a troubler of Israel. And he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed the Baals. So now, Elijah takes control over the king. He's got this confidence and authority in him. He says, Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Many men and women over the years that have followed God have been accused of being the troubler of Israel. I think of uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 20 where they said, and they brought these men to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Acts chapter 24, verse 5, for we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And Elijah was sent from God to trouble Ahab. I don't know when the last time anyone looked to you and said, oh, you troubler of my family, or you troubler of our workplace, or you're turning the world upside down. In the years that I've served Jesus, no one has ever accused me of turning the world upside down. So that tells me I've got a lot to grow in my relationship with the Lord to be used by him, because one day that would be really cool uh, to be accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus. Don't you think that'd be a cool thing? to have somebody throw me into jail and say he's a troubler of our city. For what? Well, preaching the gospel. Uh, That hasn't happened. But I have seen it in smaller ways. I have seen uh, times where someone will come and say, you've troubled my home. I'm like, what did I do? Well, well, you told my spouse such and such and this. They said they got it from the Bible, and now they're a completely different person, and it's all your fault. 
Now, that's a great conversation. If they don't want to put their hands around my neck and end my life in that moment, it's a really a good conversation because they open the, there, there's an obvious change. God is obviously working in their life. They, they see it. They feel it. They may not like it, but they see it and feel it, and it gives me an open door to explain it. God didn't do anything. This is what, this is what the Bible says. This is what's happening in your home. And, and the feeling is, you've changed my life. You've changed, I don't like the way it is now. I want it the way it was. I remember many years ago where we were ministering to a man, a young man who was on drugs and just pouring into him and, and just begging him, man, you've got to leave the drugs behind. You've got to take, and, and, and he did. And, and he began walking with the Lord and he began serving the Lord and, and he went home and, and everything changed. And his mom, of all people, was upset. That, his, that her son was not on drugs anymore. And, and I remember distinctly her calling me and telling me, some, I'm, I don't remember the exact quote, but telling me something along the lines of this, I liked my son better when he was on drugs. Now that's pretty close to saying you've troubled me. You've troubled my home. No, no, I haven't troubled your home. God is disturbing the status quo in your life because he's saving and rescuing people that are close to you and he loves you and he's getting really close to you, isn't he? I mean, he's right in your house. God is in your house now. Like he's right in your front room. And, and we haven't, I haven't had these in a Broadway, but perhaps before I go home to be with the Lord, one day that'll be a cue. You, you know, you should have never come to Aurora, man. You should have never come because you changed, you changed the city in Jesus' name. That would be a pretty cool thing to be accused of. And I would say, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lives are changed. Marriage is rescued. Kids saved. You bet. You bet. We want to be troublers to sin and to sinful things, to flip the world right side up from God's perspective. And so in our study next time, we'll get to the highlight of Elijah's life. He's up on Mount Carmel. I fully expected to go through the entire chapter, uh, but I want to spend some time up on Mount Carmel. I want to spend some time with Elijah. I want to build through uh, as you are able to see a man so strong and, and so committed uh, to the things of the Lord and, and to watch the progression of how God is taking him from, from strength to strength and glory to glory, building his faith, building his faith, not just for Mount Carmel, but he's also building his faith for the cave. He's building his faith. So read ahead. That's the advantage. Read ahead the rest of chapter 18. Read ahead through chapter 19 so you know where we're headed and you can get the, let the Holy Spirit begin teaching you before we ever come to a place of studying it together. Um, but this mighty man of God ends up running away for his life. And at the, at the simple threat of Jezebel, although he knew Jezebel was serious because she's already massacred all these prophets. And, and he knows he's got the physical fighting with the spiritual. And some of you today, you have the physical fighting with the spiritual in your life. You have the physical fighting with the spiritual. The way the Bible puts that is the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. The flesh, the old life, your old sinful habit patterns, you're pushing your own way, your own agenda, your own thoughts, your own opinions uh, is taking precedent over walking in the Spirit. And the elements and the, the things to look for, whether, you know, am I walking in the Spirit? Well, well, consider this. Is there love in your life? 
Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness? Is there self-control? Because those are a few of the evidences of walking in the Spirit. And every believer has this battle. Nobody's immune to it. Every one of us battle in the flesh and the Spirit. Battle in the flesh and the Spirit. And as one commentator put it many years ago, uh, it's, it's important that you feed the Spirit and you starve the flesh. It's important that you feed the Spirit and you starve the flesh. And investing just a few more minutes tonight in song, just a few minutes on a Wednesday night where you could be sleeping or you've delayed dinner or the kids are going to be a little crabby because they're not going to bed at the normal time, just the investment, I commend you. I commend you, even those that couldn't be here physically, but you're here by technology. You will be not only blessed that you came, but feeding the Spirit will make you stronger in the Spirit. Starving the flesh tonight, whatever it was that you starved, whatever show that you skipped, uh, whatever movie you didn't go to, whatever restaurant you couldn't sit down to tonight, you starving the flesh, feeding the Spirit, God will be glorified in your life. You've been listening to a study in 1 Kings from Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. You can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Do a search for Troubler of Ahab. Ed, in today's message, Elijah was accused of being a troubler of Israel. But as you mentioned, in reality, he was a troubler of Ahab. When hurtful or false accusations come at us, how should we respond? Well, Larry, I'll tell you how we shouldn't respond, and that is we shouldn't respond in kind. Uh, you know, the reality of, of being hurt is that we want to respond in and out of hurt. As one brother once said, uh, hurting people have a tendency to hurt people. And so the best response is silence. Uh, if you receive that troubling email, lay it before the Lord like Hezekiah did and wait for God's direction. If you have seen something posted about you, then just commit it to the Lord. Pastor Chuck Smith uh, was very wise in teaching us, and he says it over and over again. He taught us, if you want to choose to defend yourself, you can, but then you're limited by your resources, by your limited knowledge, by your limited abilities, and you will find that you will not be a good defender. And I have to say, in that first part of what Pastor Chuck said, and I'm paraphrasing, that first part of what he shared is true. You will be limited in your ability to defend. However, if like many of the men and women in the scriptures, you allow God to be your defender, then oh boy, what a defender, capital D, he really is. Entrusting your life to a faithful creator. I can't help but think of David when Absalom usurped his, his own son, usurped his authority, and usurped his place as king. What did David do? He committed himself to the God who sees, and he let God sort it out. And so many times as I've stepped back and allowed God to set, out, set it up and sort it out, that's exactly what he's done. I like to use the phrase, we need to give room for the Holy Spirit to work. And I have to say, I have never regretted. It's hard. 
uh, watching injustice and it's hard being constantly hurt and it's hard to be the source of antagonism and passive aggressiveness and on and on that list goes. That's hard. I want to acknowledge that for you guys listening in. But listen, God is a great defender. Trust him in your present circumstances and keep your eyes firmly fixed on him because it becomes a weight in your life, doesn't it? And like Romans says, lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us so we can run our race with joy, looking unto Jesus. Good question, Larry. Thank you. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel recalls his own spiritual journey from an atheist to faith in Jesus. He poses questions like, how reliable is the Bible? Does evidence for Jesus exist outside the Word of God? And is there any reason to believe the resurrection actually happened? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. It'll serve to help us finish the year strong. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll get back into 1 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor continues through this Old Testament book with us. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Aurora.